Shalom. Thank you for joining and tuning into another episode of Truth Matters. Today's episode is part three and is titled The Book of Acts and Romans. And the primary focus of this study is to learn who are the Gentiles in the book of Acts and in the book of Romans. Who are these Gentiles receiving salvation? Are they non-Israelites? Are they uh, Israelites? And who are the Gentiles grafted into Israel? We're going to start at Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the Ruach. So the location is Jerusalem. And it's the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit gave the apostles the ability to speak different languages. Let's start at verse 5 of Acts chapter 2. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. These Jews are the southern kingdom, Benjamin, Judah, and Levi. Devout means believing strongly in a religion and obeying all its rules and principles. These men were at Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost. It was their custom. Three times a year, the men of Israel had to come to Jerusalem. And that was during Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. You can find that in Deuteronomy 16, 16. We see that they came from different nations. Why? Because they were scattered in all nations. For a precept, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among all nations. And we know that Moses said that in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. So let's read Acts chapter 2 verses 8 through 11. And it says, And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea, in Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in all the parts of Libya and Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. So these Jews heard the apostles speaking in their native languages the works of God. These Jews knew their history. They would know the works of God because their ancestors were witnesses to those mighty works. Also, they are written in the Tanakh. So they knew their customs and they had their scriptures. We see that it is possible from these few verses to be a bloodline Jew living in a foreign country. Acts 2 verses 22 confirms who the audience is. It says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Let's skip down to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, all the house means all 12 tribes, know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, Yahawashai, Yahusha, whichever one you want to use, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So we see that the promises are to the Jews and their children. Why? Because the promises came with the covenant made with their forefathers. Romans 9 verses 4 and 5, who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth means to who belongs to, who has the rights to the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is overall God blessed be forever. So these promises were to the Jews and their children. And it also says to all that are far off. This is talking about Israelites scattered. This is not talking about the ethnic Gentiles. Let's prove that with John chapter 11, verses 49 through 52. And it says, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. 
the people were the Jews. We just read in Romans 9, 5, Christ came because of the covenant made with the forefathers, and that the whole nation perished not. And this he spake not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that the Messiah should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. That's the other tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, the scattered southern kingdom. He died for the northern and the southern kingdom. Christ will gather all 12 tribes together again. This goes back to Ezekiel 37 and 22. So what is the promise? The promise is the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So it says all flesh. The all flesh are the men and the women of Israel, his servants and his handmaids. We as a nation are his servants. Leviticus 25 and 55. For unto me, the children of Israel are my servants. For they are my servants whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. You will only find scriptures about the Most High pouring out his spirit on his people Israel. Now, the other nations dreamed. We see that in the scriptures. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar. And we saw that with um, Pontius Pilate's wife. Seems like he gives them warning dreams, right? But I have not found a scripture where it says that he will pour out his spirit on the heathen. I haven't found that. But I'm going to give you some scriptures where it says he pours out his spirit on Israel. Isaiah 44 verses 1 through 3. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus said the Most High that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. And thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Ezekiel 39 verses 28 and 29. Then shall they know that I am the most high thy power, thy God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen but I have gathered them into their own land and have left none of them anymore there neither will I hide my face anymore from them for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel said the most high these two scriptures said that the most high will pour out his spirit on all the 12 tribes of Israel let's go to Acts chapter 8 so I'm just going to give a summation. We're going to do Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1, 4, and 25. When you get a chance, read the entire chapter. And Saul consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution among the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So the church, or the called out ones, are Israel. This is the congregation of God. Isaiah 48 and 12, Hosea 11 and 1. He did not call out the heathen or the mixed multitude. Though they were allowed to live and serve among the Israelites, he did not call them. The church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, which are both northern and southern kingdom territories, and the word was preached unto them. The Samaritans lived in Samaria, which is northern kingdom territory. We see that in verse 25, they heard the gospel. So let's go back in time a little bit. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, Christ told the disciples not to go into any other town of the Samaritans or Samaria, 
But now we see that it is time for them to hear and receive the gospel. For example, in John chapter 4, verses 4 through 45, it was a foreshadowing of the word or the light, which is Christ, coming to the northern kingdom or the Gentiles scattered abroad. He told them not to go at that time. The southern kingdom was still in covenant. He came to save them from their sins. They not understanding that he did it for the whole house of Israel, even though the ten tribes were separated from them. The Jews felt a certain type of way about him talking to the woman of Samaria, because like she said, the southern kingdom or the Jews didn't deal with them like that. And this is where the jealousy comes in after his return to heaven and the gospel being preached to the northern kingdom or the Gentiles and the scattered Jews aka the Greeks, and they received the Holy Spirit by not living in the land, not doing sacrificial laws, and not being in covenant. But they had faith, which many of the Jews lacked, aka the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and some of Israel. They were thinking, how is it possible they can receive all these things and we've been faithful to the law? It's possible because Christ made this possible. His purpose was to save all his people from their sins by his sacrifice, establish the covenant and peace among the tribes, and gather them together. Let's go to verses 26 through 40 of Acts chapter 8. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all those verses, but I'm going to give a summation of it. The eunuch came to worship at Jerusalem, as it is written in the Torah of the law, the same way the Jews in chapter 2 came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, and Deuteronomy 16 and 16. He was a man of Ethiopia. As we know by now, Israel is scattered in all nations, so it's not foreign that this man could be an Israelite. He was an Israelite, a Jew, living and working for the queen of Ethiopia. This goes back to Deuteronomy 4 and 27. And he was a eunuch. Now, it was prophesied in Isaiah 39 verses 6 through 7 that the men of Judah would become eunuchs. Furthermore, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah about the Messiah being sacrificed for the transgressions of of Israel. Now you got to ask yourself, why would the ethnic heathen or Gentiles be reading the book of the prophets? The heathens had their own gods. They were doing their own things. You can read that they had their own gods in Psalms 96 and 5. Also, he could not understand what he was reading. He was blind, blind as in not understanding. And also he was not in the land during Messiah's ministry. To back that up, let's go to Isaiah 29, verses 10 through 12. For the Most High have poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and have closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. And the vision of all is becoming to you as the words of this book, as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he said, I am not learned. So we see that the reason the Ethiopian couldn't understand it is because of the spirit of deep sleep the Most High had poured out on, out on his people during the times of Isaiah. And Isaiah 56, verses 3 and 4, is about the eunuchs being accepted back into the covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1, it says anyone that is wounded in the stones or castrated cannot enter into the congregation. I know a lot of people like to say Isaiah 56 is about the ethnic heathen. It's not. I don't know why it's so hard for Israel to read and comprehend that our men were actually castrated. It's in the black and white. Just because he's a eunuch does not mean he's an ethnic Gentile. The Ethiopian eunuch was an Israelite that came to Jerusalem to worship. He ran into Philip. Philip preached the gospel, told him about the Messiah, and then he was <laughs> he was raptured away by the Holy Spirit and put in another location. The end.
Let's move on to Acts chapter 10. It's about Peter and Cornelius. So I'm going to start off with the vision of Peter and then I'll get into Cornelius. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to summarize it. We'll read a lot of the verses concerning Cornelius, but I'm not going to read every verse. All right. So Peter's vision. This is in verses 10 through 16. So his vision, first and foremost, is not about being able to eat unclean foods. So the meaning of the vision, the different beasts are the Gentiles or the Greeks of Israel. We know that in Ecclesiastes 3 and 18, that men are beasts. The Most High used these beasts to symbolize men. That's all. It's not about eating pork. The Jews saw the other nations as unclean, and they were not permitted into the congregation. But now they are accepted and made clean by the sacrifice of Christ. And that's in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. So again, these Gentiles are Israelites, northern kingdom and scattered southern kingdom. Let's talk about Cornelius. So we see that in verses 1 through 5, uh, Cornelius was devout. As we saw earlier, what devout meant in Acts chapter 2, he feared God. He gave alms. You can find alms giving in Tobit chapter 1, verses 3, 16, and 17, and Tobit chapter 14, verse 2. We see that Cornelius prayed to God, and his prayers came up to the Most High. Tobit chapter 12 and verse 15, we see that Raphael is the angel that presents the prayers of the saints. We know the saints are the Israelites. We also see in Revelations 8 and 4 that the prayers of the saints go up to the Most High. So we see that Cornelius was an Israelite in the Roman army. Just like how our black men are in the U.S. Army, we're Israelites living in America. Research would show that the Roman army consisted of men from different nations or ethnicities. So let's read verses 34 through 36. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Christ, he is Lord over all. So let's break those verses down. It said that God is no respecter of persons. Respecter of persons is dealing with judgment. You're not supposed to show favor or be biased when judging a matter. You're not supposed to, you know, favor one person over the other because y'all cool or because they bribe you and whatnot. The Most High rewards and judges righteously. He gives rewards and judgment according to every man's actions. He judges nations and he judges individuals. For instance, the whole nation of Israel was given the cup of his fury and wrath for disobeying his commandments. Why do so many of us think that the nations won't have to drink of the same cup as it is written in the scriptures? It's not fair. It wouldn't be righteous of the Most High for us to drink of his wrath and fury and not for the nations to drink the same cup for the pain, the oppression, and the affliction they've caused us. It's only right that they drink the same cup. So in this verse, respect of persons mean he doesn't have favorites among his people. The northern kingdom is still his people just as much as the southern kingdom. Though southern kingdom was not cut off and they heard the gospel, they received the gift of the spirit. It is only right for their brethren of the ten tribes and of the scattered southern kingdom to receive the same promises to hear the gospel as well. This is why Christ came to restore Israel, that's Isaiah 49 and 6, and to establish a covenant with them. Again, the promises, the gifts, the covenant is for all the tribes of Israel. This is why the scripture says the gifts and the callings are without repentance. Israel is the call, the gifts are for them. The Most High is not reneging on what he has promised. Remember, he does not change. Romans 11 and 29, Malachi 3 and 6. Israel is his beloved, his chosen, his elect, 
his children, the apple of his eye, his fervent lover. So of course, he puts them before the other nations. To back up that he has respect to Israel, we'll read Exodus chapter 2 and verse 25. He had respect to the children of Israel. So let's get back to Acts verse 35. It says, in every nation, in every nation, because Israel is in every nation. They are scattered to the four corners of the earth. Peter said to him that feareth God and worketh righteousness. This is keeping the commandments and the faith in his son. We know that's Revelation 14 and 12. We know the commandments are righteous. You can go to Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. Our whole duty is to fear God and keep his commandments. It says the word, which is Christ, was sent to the children of Israel, meaning that all of Israel must hear Christ because he was only sent and he only came for them. Verse 45, it says, And they of the circumcision, which believed and were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost, again, was promised to Israel, not the other nations. You can find that in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Ezekiel 39, 29, and Isaiah 44 and 3. Let's go to Acts chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21. It says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee, and you teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses and that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after their customs. So we see in verses 20 and 21 that the Jews indeed lived among the Gentiles. Last scripture for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 26, verses 20 through 23. And it says, But show first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea southern kingdom and then to the gentiles that is the northern kingdom and the greeks slash the scattered jews that they should repent and turn to god and do works meet for repentance repentance means just to change your mind and turn back to the commandments and have faith in the son verse 21 for these causes the jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me having therefore obtained help of god I continue unto this day, witness unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those that the prophets and Moses did say should come. Verse 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and show light unto the people, meaning the southern kingdom and to the Gentiles, meaning the ten tribes and scattered southern kingdom or the Greeks. Isaiah 53 shows the suffering. Jonah was a sign of the resurrection. Christ is our light. He is our understanding and our wisdom of how to live a life pleasing to the Father, which is complete obedience. He is our example. When we are fully in the new covenant and he puts the laws within us, we will never break the commandments again and we will not have to teach one another. That's in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. This shows that both kingdoms needed Christ. So that concludes the book of Acts. We're going to move on to Romans. And we're only going to discuss chapters 9 and 11 because this is where most people try to graft in the heathen. And I'm going to show you precept upon precept. That is a lie. So let's get into it. Romans chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, meaning Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of whom also concerning the flesh Christ came, who is overall God blessed forever. So number one, 
we know his brethren are those of the southern kingdom the Jews who he was living amongst in Jerusalem. So let's look at the things that pertain to the Israelites. Number one, we see the adoption. The adoption is the resurrection. We receive a new body. We must have a spiritual body to inherit the kingdom. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. That's 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50. We will be like Christ when he appears. 1 John chapter 3 verses 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Christ is the first fruits from the dead, and his elect will also be resurrected. Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of son. Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by the Messiah to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The glory the glory is the most high, uh, Jerusalem, our salvation, and our spiritual bodies as well. The most high is our glory. He is our God, the God of Israel, not the God of the heathens. You don't see that nowhere in scripture. Jeremiah 2 and 11. Have the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory, meaning the most high, their God, their power, for that which doth not profit, that that didn't profit, was the idols that they served and worshiped. 1 Maccabees 2 and 12, And behold, our sanctuary, even our beauty and our glory is laid waste, and the Gentiles have profaned it. This is speaking of Jerusalem. This is where the Most High dwelt, and this is where he will reside forever. You can read that in Psalms 132, verses 13 and 14. Our salvation is our glory. Baruch 4 and 24, for I sent you out with mourning and weeping, but God will give you to me again with joy and gladness forever. Like as now the neighbors of Zion have seen your captivity, so shall they see shortly your salvation from our God, which shall come upon you with great glory and brightness of the everlasting. Isaiah 60 and 1, Arise, shine, for thy light Christ is come and the glory of the Most High is risen upon thee. Our spiritual bodies, 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 44, it reads, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Last scripture for glory. Romans 8 verses 17 and 18. And if children, then heirs, heirs with him, that we might also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's go to the covenants. We know the old and the new covenants are with Israel and Israel only. Deuteronomy 29 and 1, Hebrews 8 and 8, Jeremiah 31, and I think 31. The law. The law was given to Israel at Sinai. Leviticus 28, 46. The law was given to make them separate from among the nations because we are the representatives of God on earth through his laws and his judgment the service of God. These were the daily and the yearly tasks in the temple. Hebrews 9 verses 1 and verse 6. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Verse 6. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Lastly, the promises. So our promises are the land, heirs to the kingdom, rulers with Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So first off, our land. Deuteronomy 6 and 3. 
Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, talking about the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Most High, the God of thy fathers, have promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. The promise of being heirs to the kingdom and having rulership with Christ. Hebrews 9 and 15. And for this, because he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament or the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs, that we may also be glorified together. For the sake of time, rulership with Christ, you can go to Psalms chapter 2, verses 7 and 9, and refer to Revelations 2, verses 26 through 27, uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, and lastly, the Holy Spirit. This was explained in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 17, 18, verses 39, and you can refer back to Joel 2. Verses 28 and 29. So the elect or the remnant of both kingdoms of Israel will receive these things because they were inherited through their fathers. Let's skip down to verse 24 of chapter 9. Even us whom he have called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So let's break this down. Even us. The us here is the southern kingdom or the Jews. Most Christians and most Christian Israelites teach that the Jews are all 12 tribes. That is not the truth. That is a lie. The scriptures prove that to be a lie. It doesn't matter what your academic scholar says or your theologians. The Jews historically and biblically have been the southern kingdom. So who are these Gentiles? Let's go to the next verse. Verse 25, as he saith also in O.C. or Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called children of the living God. You can find that in Hosea 1 verses 4, 6, and 9, 10, and in Hosea 2 and 23. So we know from part one, Hosea chapter one and two is talking about the northern kingdom. They were cut off. They were the people, not a people. So these Gentiles in Romans nine are the northern kingdom, not the other nations. This is why, this is why precept upon precept and line upon line is so important. The only people who is not important to are Christians, urban apologists, and Israelites who still cling to Christian ideology and interpretation of the scriptures. It's not that hard. It's really not. I don't understand for the people who say that they're Israelites, who always try to give their heritage and their inheritance away. It is yours. Hosea 1 is talking about both kingdoms of Israel. The other nations are never mentioned in the passage. Case closed. Romans 9 and 27. Isaiah or Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. You can find that in Isaiah 10 and 22. So if you didn't know who Hosea was talking about, Isaiah tells you straight up, the children of Israel, a remnant will repent and believe on Christ. Okay, Romans 9 and verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? Meaning the Gentiles, the northern kingdom, the scattered southern kingdom known as the Greeks, which did not follow after righteousness, meaning the laws of sacrifice, they have attained to righteousness because they believe on Christ. Christ is our righteousness. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31. But Israel, meaning southern kingdom, 
which follow after the law of righteousness, animal sacrifices, have not attained to the law of righteousness, meaning faith. Wherefore, because they sought it not by what? Faith, meaning Christ, but as it were by the works of the law, meaning animal sacrifice, for they stumble at the stumbling stone, meaning Christ. 33. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. So we see that the Gentiles in Romans 9 are Israelites of the northern kingdom and the scattered southern kingdom. Even the precepts that Paul wrote go back to the Old Testament talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. Nowhere at all do you see it talking about other nations of people. Romans 11, starting at verse 1. I say then, have God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin, which is southern kingdom. So we see God will never, ever, 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 ever cast away his people. Let's get some precepts. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. For the Most High will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Most High to make you his people. Psalms 94 and 14. For the Most High will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Jeremiah 31, 37. For thus said the Most High, if the heavens above can be measured, and the foundation of the earth be searched out beneath, I will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, said the Most High. Israel, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom are still his people. He did not cut off or divorce the northern kingdom to graft in heathens. He did not cut them off to replace them with Caucasians, to replace them with the Chinese, the Japanese, the Portuguese, whatever kind of geese or whatever other kind of people. He did not cast away his people to bring other people in to fulfill their spot. You call him the most high liar when you teach that these other nations can be grafted in. To live among us, to serve us, and to abide by our laws. Let's go to verse 2. God have not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Won't ye not what the scripture says of, saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. To foreknow means to know beforehand, to foreordain, to predestine. Israel was chosen by God before he created the world. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. According as he have chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, goes back to Romans 9 and 4, by Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, Israel, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember what 1 John 3 and 2 said, we will be like him when he appears, that he might be the firstborn from the dead among many brethren, the Israelites. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Isaiah 48 verse 12. And whom he called, them he also justified. Isaiah 45 and 25. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Romans 9 and 4, Isaiah 60 and 2. It all points back to the Israelites, whom he foreknew. Let's carry on a little bit more. Psalms 147, 19 and 20. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Hallelujah. Last one, Amos 3 and 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. So the scripture that Paul is referring to about Elijah is in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. And it's about God always having a remnant within his chosen people. All of Israel is not wicked. He always has a remnant. Many are called, 
only few are chosen. All of Israel was called, but only a few within the 12 tribes are chosen. Let's go to Isaiah 10 and verse 21. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. Romans 11 and 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they shall fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Whose fall is referring to the elders, the priests, and the Pharisees? What kingdom are they from? The southern kingdom. They fell at Christ. They had no faith in him. They didn't believe he was the son. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he operated in the in the uh, power of Satan. But let's back it up with a precept. Luke 2 and 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child, meaning Christ, is set for the fall, southern kingdom, and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against the resurrection, a.k.a. the sign of Jonah. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The chief priests didn't believe he resurrected. They told the soldiers that the disciples had stole his body. You can find that in Acts 23 and 8, Matthew 28, 11 through 13. Verse 35 of Luke chapter 2. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So we see that they had lip service. They read the law. They read the prophets. But they didn't believe what they read because they rejected Christ. They didn't have the eyes to see Christ for who he was, just like our people today. So they fell because they had no faith. Let's read Matthew 23 and 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These things you ought to have done, and not leave the other undone. So they knew the law, they did the law, but they had no faith. So salvation to the Gentiles. Again, these Gentiles are Israelite Gentiles of the northern kingdom. There are no scriptures about the Romans, the Babylonians, Edom, Moab, Elam, and other nations being grafted in. The covenant, the promises, and prophecies all agree that these Gentiles are Israelites. Messiah, who is our salvation, came for the scattered Israelites as well. Not only the southern kingdom, as so many of the Pharisees and Jews at that time thought, he came for all his people to restore them back to one nation again. It says to provoke to jealousy. So to provoke the southern king to jealousy. The northern kingdom had faith without ever knowing Christ. They didn't do animal sacrifices. They didn't do offerings. But the southern kingdom did the sacrifices faithfully. They taught the law. They were also witnesses of Christ, seeing him do miracles and wonders, and yet did not believe him. Again, they omitted the weightier matters of the law, and faith was one of those things. So this verse is a quote from Deuteronomy 32 and 21. And it reads, And they have moved me to jealousy with that which is not of God, meaning idols. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. This verse is prophetic. The people, the not a people, is Ephraim, a.k.a. the northern kingdom. You find that in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 8. A foolish nation is still Israel, but the northern kingdom. Remember, the kingdom was divided. They became two nations. They were foolish because they rejected the Most High, their heritage, and decided to serve idols. Notice here it says, a foolish nation, meaning singular. Many still under Christian interpretation of the scriptures said this is talking about the Gentiles. First of all, there are many Gentile nations. So which one is it? So in essence, it's saying that the Most High would provoke the Jews to jealousy with their own people. This isn't far-fetched. Our people are jealous of one another today 
whether they're in the world or in this truth. Just look at it. You got individualites who don't congregate, but they hate and bash the camps and call everything they teach camp doctrine because they don't have the eyes to see the truth in the scriptures. Now, am I saying that all the camps teach 100% truth? Absolutely not. But that doesn't give you the right to bash them because you got to realize everything you teach and preach isn't the truth either. I will be glad when we can all come together as one nation and finally agree, but that won't happen till Christ come back. That won't happen till we're in the wilderness because it, it, it don't like us no time soon. Definitely not in captivity. So yeah, it's not far-fetched. Even in the truth, some of us are jealous of one another and it ought not to be that way. You may not agree with the camps, but don't bash them. They're still your brother. And I will say this about the camp. I'm not a part of any camp, but I respect them because they're putting in the work. So Paul writes about the hatred and the envy of our people in Titus chapter 1, verse 3. He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. This goes back to Isaiah 11 and 13 about the the envy and the, the vexing between the kingdoms. So we see that our people had an envy and a hate for one another. Like I said, to this day, even in the truth. Romans 11 verse 12. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So the riches of the world is talking about salvation, wisdom, the knowledge of the most high, faith in his son and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All those are our riches because they belong to us. So the unbelieving Jews lost these things when they rejected Christ and they became available to the northern kingdom and to the the scattered southern kingdom because these things belonged to them. They were promised to them. They were foreordained to have these things. These riches were not promised to the other nations. Verse 15, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So reconciling or reconcile, what does that mean? It means to restore back to the original state. The relationship between God and his people needed to be restored. Northern kingdom was cut off. The restoration was done through Christ. Reconciliation is the result of atonement. Without Christ, we are dead. To be dead is to be in sin. Through Christ and repentance, you are made alive by the spirit. So let's go to the parable of the prodigal son real quick, because this chapter reminds me a lot of the prodigal son. So let's go to Luke 15 verses 11 through 32. So as we go through it, you can see that this story is about the kingdoms of Israel. The two sons are Judah and Ephraim. The younger son is Ephraim. Let's read verses 13 through 15. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the field to feed swine. So we see that the younger son, he became a citizen of a foreign country and he had a riotous lifestyle and he tended to the swine. This is symbolic of Ephraim being known as the Gentiles, living without the laws of God and are considered unclean. Verses 17 through 19. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father's and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he came to himself and realized he had made a mistake, and he repented for it. Let's go to Jeremiah 31, verses 18 and 19. And it says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I am chastised. And as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou me, and I shall be turned. For you art the most high 
my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smoked my thigh, I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. So we see in Jeremiah 31, Ephraim eventually feels sorrowful and he repents, just like in the parable of the prodigal son. Let's go back to Luke. We're going to read verses 23, no, verses 20 through 23. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So we see that the Most High is still a father to Ephraim or the Northern Kingdom. He had compassion on Ephraim and welcomes him back into the kingdom. He welcomes him back home. He is still his son. He still will bear his name. Jeremiah 31, 9 and 10 says, For I'm a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Most High. Let's go back to Luke 15. We're going to read verses 27 through 30. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. Thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gave me a kid, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son was come, which have devoured thy living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. The older son, aka Judah, got jealous because he served his fathers for years in obedience and was never rewarded. Southern Kingdom was practicing the laws, whereas Northern Kingdom rejected the laws. Verse 31, And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is thine. So the father reassured his son he is always with him. The southern kingdom was not cut off, Hosea 11 and 12. Ephraim compasseth me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah yet ruleth with God, and is faithful with the saints. Luke 15 and 32. It is meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. So his brother was dead in his sins, but he repented and came back home and was accepted. Same with the northern kingdom. We should rejoice when our brothers and sisters repent and turn back to the Most High and follow his commandments and have faith in his son. Let's get back to Romans 11 and we're going to read verse 16. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. The first fruit is Christ. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. And it reads, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The lump, Israel. 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For in Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. The root is Christ. Revelation 5 and 5. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the branches. The branches are Israel. John 15 and 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Verse 16 is saying, Since Christ is holy, so are the remnant of his people. Remember, the Most High chose Israel to be a holy nation. That's in Exodus 19 and 6 and Deuteronomy 7 and 6. Romans 11 and 17. And if some of the branches be broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the tree. The children of Israel make up the olive tree. Jeremiah 11 and 16. 
The Most High called thy name, a good olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. The broken branches here are the unbelieving Jews of the southern kingdom. It says, ye being a wild olive tree. These Israelite Gentiles, they were once a good tree, but they became wild through idolatry. This is what the book of Hosea was about. Grafting in is the gathering of the two families of Israel. This is Ezekiel 37. Since the Israelite Gentiles are part of the family of God again, they can now partake in Christ, which is the root and the fatness. He nourishes the whole tree. Romans 11 verse 18. Boast not against the branches. But if you boast, you bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. The northern kingdom and the Greeks could not get high and mighty when they were rebellious against the Most High, living like heathens, whereas Judah was faithful. When Christ came, the elders stumbled at him. Neither have room to be prideful because both are guilty of sin. The Jews were broken off because they lacked faith, but both kingdoms sinned. Romans 11, 23 and 24. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, meaning the unbelieving Jews. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? These verses are saying, if the Jews begin to have faith, they will be accepted in again. That's all it's saying. Verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Blindness in part meaning that meaning all of Israel was not blinded. The disciples were not blinded. They were able to see who Christ was. The leadership of the southern kingdom were blinded. The Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, and some of Israel that followed after them were blinded as well. Remember Isaiah 29 and 10. For the Most High poured out upon them the spirit of deep sleep, and he covered their eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, have he covered. Boom. The rulers, scribes, Pharisees, and priests, they couldn't see. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, meaning the complete remnant of the northern kingdom sealed by faith in Messiah. Genesis 48 and 19. Ephraim would be a multitude of nations. Multitude in the Strong's Concordance, H1393, means fullness. I see this as saying the tribes under the leadership of Ephraim that were living like Gentiles is the fullness of the Gentiles. Either way, this chapter is not talking about nations outside of Israel. Romans 11 and 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This further proves that the Gentiles spoken of are Israelites because it says that all Israel will be saved, meaning the chosen remnant of all 12 tribes. This is a quote from Isaiah 59 and 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, said the Most High. Again, proving Christ came and was dealing with Israel, not the other nations. Romans 11 and 27. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. The covenant is only made with Israel. Jeremiah 31 and 31. Hebrews 8 and 8. Romans 11 and 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Meaning the Most High didn't change his mind or his plan about calling Israel to be his people. Nor giving us the blessings he predestined for us. No nation can take our place. 
this concludes part three. I hope you all were able to see that the Gentiles, the disciples were teaching to, the Gentiles Paul wrote about in the book of Romans, are his brethren of the other tribes of Israel. My prayer for my people is that we get out of the Christianity mindset. I I don't understand how we come into the truth. I'm going to just be blunt. We come into this truth and we see all the atrocities that white people have done to us throughout all of our generations. But we come into this truth realizing we are the Israelites in the book, but yet we cling to the white man's interpretation of our book. That don't make no sense to me. And it irks me really bad. I don't get it. But then again, some of us were blinded, right? Some of us aren't meant to see it, right? I want all my people to see the truth. But then you got some people who say that they're teachers and they don't teach the truth of the scriptures. We're all playing our part that we were predestined to play. I just want my people to come to the truth and the knowledge of these scriptures. And we can't come to them if we trying to if we trying to bring in the heathen with us. The heathen going to be there anyway. They got to serve us. But we can't be focused on them when we ain't got ourselves together as a nation. And I wish more Israelites would realize that. But anywho, stay in this word, read, pray, fast, be encouraged. Time has truly sped up. Part four would be the letters of Paul and Peter. And that will end this series of who the Gentiles are. Until next time, Shalom.